praise the Lord. We better pray over this word before this gets completely out of hand. Praise the Lord. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the opportunity to come to the house of the Lord. We are grateful for every heart, every soul, every body that is here, Father. We ask, Father, for transforming power to fill this house. We ask for the atmosphere of God, the glory of the Lord, and the wisdom of the Most High in this house tonight. I thank you, Father, that you will fill my mouth with the words from heaven. You will fill our hearts with the desires of heaven. You will fill our minds with the thoughts from heaven. That tonight we leave this place energized. We leave this place increased. We leave this place at a higher place than we've ever walked before. And we thank you, Father, that according to your word, no enemy has the opportunity to quench us has the opportunity to steal this, has the opportunity to take from us. But, Father, tonight we receive freedom in the Spirit that we receive all that you have for us. Hallelujah. And we give you praise and thanksgiving for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would with me tonight, go to John 3.16. Now, some of you may know that scripture, but we're going to look at it again tonight. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word is very clear on this fact. God loves the world. God loves the world and he loves everyone that is in the world. He loves all the people that are in the world. The word love is so big that when I was looking this word love up, it says that it's reserved for New Testament Christians. It's in very few other Greek manuscripts, which we know the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And it says it's used almost uh, always in reference to the New Testament believer, and God's passion toward them. All right? Um, and the word itself means an unconditional love, a love by choice, an act of the will. It goes on to say it's unconquerable benevolence, undefeatable goodwill. But it says it never seeks anything but the highest good for another. This is how God feels about the world. He is not seeking anything but the highest good for the world. Amen? It says this love does not need chemistry or a feeling. It belongs, this is in the definition, it says it belongs exclusively to the Christian community. In the definition, because it's a love that people without God cannot comprehend. But yet this is how God feels about the world. It's a self-giving love. It's um, expecting and requiring nothing in exchange or return. This is how God feels about the world. Now, we know that according to 1 John 4, 8, the word tells us that God is love. 
God is love. So with the fact that God loves the world and God is love, it only makes sense that he would give himself for the world. He gave himself for the world. He gave himself for people that didn't know him. He gave himself for people that may not ever receive him. He gave himself for people that wouldn't follow all the rules, that maybe wouldn't keep it always before their heart and mind that God did this for me. But that never stopped his passion toward the world. He took the risk of whether or not they would receive it, they would accept it, or they would walk in it without hesitation. He never drew back and he never held back from any of us when we, when we didn't even know him. He didn't say, yeah, I would give my life for them, but do you know what they did? And do you know what they're going to do in the future? And do you know what they're going to be? He, he, he never even considered that. He just gave it all. He just gave it all. And the thing that is so great about God's love is it is so constant. It never lets up. It never lets go. It never relaxes. It never even responds to the performance of the one they love. It never, God never responds with more love when you're doing right and less love when you're doing wrong. Because his love is constant. It is intensely poured out to you all the time. But sometimes we forget this. It's poured out to everyone else, whether they know him or not, all the time. God's love is a love that is for whoever, whenever, and wherever they're at. That's the way God's love is, because it's him himself. And he is always passionate to express, demonstrate, and show that love. Now, how many of you have ever heard John 3.16 before? Most of us have heard John 3.16. You might have even seen it at a football game, right? How many of you could even quote John 3.16? It's like the church I grew up in, that was 101. You learned this verse and you memorized it and you could say it, right? Probably by the time you could go to school, you know, you knew this scripture about how God loves. But I want to go over to Romans chapter 5 tonight. Romans chapter 5. In verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So there was a point in time that God loved you so much and you knew nothing about him. You knew nothing about him, but that didn't stop how much he loved you. 
It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't cause it to evaporate. It didn't cause it to be less than because you didn't know him. Because God's love is constant for whoever, wherever, and whenever they're there. All right? So, but it says much more than. Now, this much more than is a phrase that's not about he loves you more now than. Because somebody that pours out everything has nothing more to give. So God poured out everything to you when you were lost. So there's not anything more to give you now that you're saved. But much more than we ought to recognize and know it. We should be more aware of it now that we do know him. Of how much he loves us. And constantly... Um, we have this pressure to forget how much God loves us. Constantly, there is a force working to cause us to forget just how much God loves us. You know, I, I don't know how many of us woke up this morning and the first thought was, who God loves me. There might be some, you know what I'm saying? And I'm grateful for that. But the enemy wants to separate us from the love of God because if he can separate us from the love of God, he separates us from our awareness of God. And if we don't remain aware of God throughout the day, we become disconnected and be the God of our own life. Okay? So there's constantly a, um, a position we have to take, much more now that we're saved, to understand, experience, encounter, and believe the love God has for us. Okay? There's not more love. We should be more aware of it. Okay? All right. So much more then. Because God's love is constant and unchanging. God's love cannot change toward you. Because if God's love toward you could change, that means God would change. Because he is love. Right? And God doesn't change. I am the Lord, I change not. So we should find great comfort in that because that means that our doings, our performance do not alter how much God loves us. Amen. All right? We can't change his love because we can't change him. All right. So in his love toward us is the same. The love of God toward us is the same, all right? God loves Jerry just as much as he loves Rick and Kathy and John and Don and all of us. He loves us all the same. So why do our lives not all look the same? Now, I get that we have different personalities, but I'm talking about levels of receiving from God or the amount of God we can operate in or how much of God we have working in our life, the power of God, I should say. You know, it, it varies. Well, God's love is constant and unchanging toward us. But we all know that we're not all the same level spiritually. Some are infants, some are toddlers, some are teenagers, some are adolescents, some are adults, right? And we also know that it isn't, that isn't determined by how long you've been saved. I've known 50-year-old spiritual infants, right? 
we know that it doesn't make that doesn't make a difference but yet in the body of Christ even though the love of God is the same for all of us we aren't at the same level and place and so it can't be the fact of how much God loves us determines that because if it is constant we'd all be the same as far as if everything about our life was determined by how much God loves us. And there wouldn't be lost, loved by God, and saved, loved by God. If it was just the love of God that changes us. We wouldn't have varying levels and degrees and maturities. And do you understand what I'm saying? Because the love of God is the same for all of us. All right? But there is something about this at these varying degrees and how this can happen, how you can be a 50-year-old infant. I'm not saying they're in this church, okay? Let's just make that clear, all right? There's varying because what happens to us spiritually is we're all at varying levels of growth and development, right? We're at different levels of growth and development. So what helps us grow and develop? What are some things that will help you grow up spiritually? Reading the word. What helps us grow up spiritually? Prayer, time in prayer, fellowship with the Father, you know, um, praise and worship, spending time praising and worshiping God, uh, the church, coming to church, you know, that makes a difference in your growth and development. Being around fellow believers, that all of those things make a difference in your growth and development. And all of these things truly do determine how we grow in God. How much time you spend in the word, how much time you fellowship, how many, how many times throughout the day you acknowledge him. Um, how much time you spend um, meditating on the word, speaking the word, reading the word. All of these things have a matter of growth and development in them. But all these things have one thing in common. And all of these different things have this in common we tend to them according to how much we love God see our growth and development isn't determined by how much God loves us our growth and development is determined by how much we love God and that varies from person to person the God's love toward us is consistent, but our love for God is personal. Does this make sense to anybody? So it's not how God loves you, although it's an element to your growth, but it's how much do you love God? Hallelujah. So let's look at Romans 5, 5 here. It's not very far away from where we're at. It says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So that word poured out or shed abroad literally means it's to be gushed, pushed forth and bestowed upon. So when you got saved, the Holy Spirit dumped into your heart this love that God has. 
not only to put that love into you for you to have revelation of how much he loves you, but to also give you an ability to love him properly. Because man without God has no agape kind of love. All right? So you get saved and the Holy Spirit dumps into you how much he loves you and dumps in you an ability to love him. And it's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you did. So we know that this love for God is in us. This love for God is in us. All right? Hallelujah. So what difference, if, if the love of God makes a difference for our spiritual development and growth, how, how can that be? How, how can it be how much I love God? Well, the first thing, how much you love God determines is your priorities. How much you love God will determine your priorities. What's at the top of the list of you? What's at the top of I must take care of, I must do? What is, what is at the very top? What, what counts to you the most? What counts to you the most? What's the most important to you? And if you can think of it and look at it like this, that um, we have just three steps here. And pretend, pretend, no hats. <laughs> pretend that these steps are priorities of your heart. Okay, all three steps are a priority of your heart. You have this priority, a little bit more important is this priority, a little bit more important is this priority. Understand that the way priorities work is the one at the top always shadows over all the rest. It always shadows over the rest. So if God is here and family is here, Family will shadow over God, and God won't be at the top. If God is at the top, it will overshadow everything else beneath it. Now, this is what happens to us. Well, doesn't God care about my family? He absolutely does. He absolutely is into your family and getting them all safe, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God and fervent. But if you try to do family without God it's not going to be godly family okay and if you keep looking for what counts in your life without asking God what's important right now because if God is at the top he aligns every other priority he aligns everything else in the order because these other priorities might shift and change depending on times, seasons, relationship. You know, there's sometimes the Spirit of the Lord will say, you really need to take care of this ministry thing. And then the next day he might say, today I need you to tend to your children in this particular area. Or you have to, you know, you need to do this at work. You need to focus on this. But the, the point is, Keeping God at the top, God will always shadow over every priority. Do you see what I understand? So you just now when you think about what am I supposed to do, picture God at the top of the heart with his arms out ready to take care of everything else. <laughs>
because all of those other priorities will shift and change. Okay? Another, and you can see how that would change your development and growth because my life is aligned to God being on the top of the list all the time. So if God is at the top all the time, certainly he's interested in my growth and development. All right? All right? Another thing that um, uh, having the love of God in us changes and causes growth is our choices we make. Our choices we make. If we love God, we make choices that God wants us to make. If we love God, when there's an opportunity to make a wrong choice, we'll just forego that opportunity. For instance, there's an opportunity to tell a lie. An opportunity to um, not tell the truth. If we love God, there isn't really a choice to be made. It's automatic. We tell the truth. We don't lie. Because God is our father, not the father of all lies. Right? See, so what happens is when we love God, when we allow the love for God that's within us to have place and to be activated, we make right choices. When the opportunity to say something harsh or hurtful, you know, the word says, don't say anything ugly about anybody. If you love God, you understand what I mean. All right. See, so loving God helps you make the choice. It helps you make a right choice. The last thing I just want to talk to before we go, we kind of shift gears here is loving God helps you handle pressure. It helps you handle pressure because a pressure point is a place or a point of conflict or two opposing, opposing forces that come together. And when two opposing forces come together, the point they meet is called the pressure in our life. And then what happens is when one wins over the other, there's no more pressure, right? When one becomes stronger, there's no pressure because this one will have to start relenting. And so now what we've got is something pushed out of the way instead of equal forces pressing. For instance, you get asked to, um, say you get asked to speak somewhere and it's pressure. Why is there pressure? Because the opportunity to speak and the awareness of inability have met right here and there's pressure. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. See, that's a point of pressure. But if it's a situation, God says, I've called you to speak there and you can do it because you're in fellowship with him because of the love you have for him. Well, then the, the, and the fear of it and the press of it just goes away. I'm just following God. See how loving God helps eliminate pressure because it will add strength to the force that walks with him. It will add strength to the power that he's at work in. And so it will always overcome that. Here's another one. I've been diagnosed with something in my physical body. 
But the word says, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. There's a pressure right there. But when I'm loving God and working with God, he can begin to reveal to me the power of by his stripes you're healed. And once you get that working in you, there's no more pressure. Because this force conquers this force. So if there's pressure in a situation, you have to get in fellowship because of the love you have for God will help you conquer your pressure. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. All right. So we can see that it helps in our growth and development because it helps us establish our priorities. It helps us overcome pressure and helps us make right choices. All right. So let's look at how to know how if we love God. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 15. And Jesus says this, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Or the cross-reference says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning, your love for me will govern how you walk with me. Will govern how you walk. Will govern your lifestyle if you truly love me. So it's by this we know how much we love him. All right, verse 21, he who asks my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. All right, so it's keeping those commandments that determine how we love him. Now, the word commandments sounds like um, a hard thing. You know, the word tells us his commandments are not burdensome. You know, they're not hard because most of the time we're thinking it's always, we we assume all of his commandments are in opposition to us. So that it's like uh, um, uh, when I was a kid, we had cattle and pigs. And we had a buzzer for the cows. And if they weren't going up the chute or they were going the wrong place, we'd buzz them. I know it's probably inappropriate, but that's what we did. And this was 50 years ago, okay? Praise the Lord. Um, why did we do that? To prod them, to make them go, to keep them in the boundaries, to keep them in the guidelines. And that's sometimes the way we see God's commandments. They buzz us or they hurt us or they, they restrict us or they damage us. But the word commandments here is the, from the Greek word that means authoritative prescription. An authoritative prescription, all right? And always know this. If something is important enough for God to prescribe it, it's important for you to take it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not always, it's not always a harsh thing. It's only harsh, the word says, when you want to go a different way, okay? But this is an authoritative prescription that gives a recommendation how to make life better. His commandments are recommendations to how to, how to live better. And um, the interesting thing about prescriptions is they have an effect on you only when you take them. <laughs> if you don't take them, they have no effect on you. So God can be given commandments 
you don't follow them, you're getting no benefit. It's not changing anything in your life, okay? That's why hearers only don't get the blessing, but the doers, right? But when we're talking about commandments, we have to understand that one of the keys of loving God is that we begin to value what God values. Because God, in his love for you, values what you count valuable. He always counts what you value as valuable to him. Now, we're in the place of loving God, so we've got to start valuing what God values. If we love him, we'll value what he values. What does God value? People, others, souls. That's right. In fact, the word even tells us, where's that at? First John, is it chapter 4, verse 20? I don't think I gave him that one. Yeah. He said, how, do you, how can you say you love the Father whom you've not seen if you don't even love the people you can see? All right? He's saying his highest commodity is people. So if we love God, we're going to start giving value to people. We're going to start valuing people. And it's not just the ones we want to value. Not just the ones that we think, oh, man, they're valuable. God so loved the, and it's constant for everyone. So we have to start valuing what he values if we really love him. Okay? Something else he values. What else does God value? He values his word. He values his word. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. All right? He values this word. This word was written by the Holy Spirit to people. And some people shed blood to get it into your hands. It was that valuable and that important. So God values this word. Do you value this word? Because if we love God, we're going to value what he values. All right? What else? Give me something else God values. What else does God value? The church, the body of Christ. God values the local church. Woohoo. He obviously values it because he set it up in the word of God. He set up church in the word of God. He set up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And he wouldn't have given us those things if he didn't value them. Right? So we have to start valuing what God values if we really love him. We have to start saying, that's important to me because I know it's important to you. Instead of saying, it's not that important to me, I hope you're okay with that. We would never say that, but we would say this, it's not that important and God loves me anyway. That's what we do. I don't think it's that important, but I know God loves me. Yeah, but he loves you just like he loves the lost goose out there, right? He loves us the same. We're talking about our growth and development to have a better life. And if we want to grow and develop, we have to start valuing whatever he values and keeping 
priorities. Right? We have to start valuing that. You know another thing the Father values? Fellowship with you. He values fellowship with you. Do you value fellowship with him? Because it's key to your growth and development. And you know, I want you to know that God knows how you talk. He's wanting fellowship. He's not looking for an oration. He's wanting communion. He's not looking for perfect correctness. He's looking just to have a connection to you. And you will value that connection if you love God. If you love God. And if you love God and value that connection, you'll find yourself throwing off things that hinder what values God, what's valuable to God. Amen? Hallelujah. There's lots of things. He values prayer. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. He values prayer. Do you value prayer? Because it demonstrates how much you love God. Do you value fellowship with him? Is this too hard? Do you value fellowship with him? Because it demonstrates how much you love God. Do you value ministry gifts in our midst? Because it shows how much you love God. And all of how much you love God then determines the life you're going to really live. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So um, we have to learn to value whatever he values. And, you know, um, we can't fuss and fight with that. We really can't fuss and fight with that and continue to grow. We really can't, you know, and I'm not trying to be harsh and I'm not trying to be hard in any way, but we need to wake up and realize God's love for me changed my life. But now it's my love for God that's changing my life. It's what's changing my life. And some people might say, well, I don't know how to love God. Well, start valuing what he values. Start counting important what he considers important. Start doing the things. He said, if you love me, just do what I told you to do. Just do what I told you to do. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we, I want to go over to Revelation chapter 2 and look at something over here. Revelation chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he, um, you know, we have all these different churches, and um, um, Pastor Jerry and I were sitting under a minister that lives over in the regions of these churches. And he was trying to give an uh, explanation of why the churches was written this way, the church of Ephesus and Smyrna and and Pergamos, the order of the churches in the book of Revelation. And he said, do you know why God wrote them in that order that he did? Because that's the order they are on the highway. <laughs> Ephesus is first. 
The next town you come to is Smyrna. The next town you come to is Pergamos. We try to make something spiritually deep on it. And the whole truth is, this is the way they are when you go out on the highway and drive. It'd be like saying to the church of Lapine, to the church of Bend, to the church of Redmond, to the church of Taravon. There's nothing spiritual deep about it. It's just the way the towns he came to next. So don't think that there is some something that is deeper. Sometimes we make, try to make things too deep, don't we? All right. But these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So look at there's all kinds of accolades there concerning these people. And he said, I know your works. That word works is your occupation. I know your toil, your deeds, your occupation. I know your labor. And this is a labor that reduces the strength of. This is a harsher toil that causes pain and weariness. And he says, I know your patience, your consistency, your constancy. And you can't bear those who are evil. Means you have already, you've got discernment about you. You know what's right and what's wrong. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So you have enough discernment, you recognize phonies. I'm thinking this is pretty good. These people are working. They're constant. They, they have discernment. They found out truth and lies. And he says, and you have persevered. It means they continue to carry the burdens and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Those are all great things. And it gives us the picture of these people are working hard and doing something. It also gives us the idea that they're spiritually perceptive, that they have understanding of spiritual things. And he goes on and says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. Now, he's talking to believers, not unbelievers. And we know it's not possible to, uh, that God would quit loving them. But it is possible they would quit loving God. All right? And it says your first love. The word first means foremost in time, place, order, or importance. That which was before or at the beginning. The former or chief thing. And then it goes back to that same word agape. You left this passion in you that wanted my will above anything else. You left the excitement that came when you first got saved. You left the energy and the enthusiasm you had when you first were in the kingdom of God. And he says, I'm holding that against you. Ouch. I'm holding that against you. You don't love me like you once did. You don't have that working as the, prime, the, uh, the foremost thing. And he goes on to say, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. 
Now, fallen, when we say the word fallen, we get the idea of a crash. But this isn't the way this word happens. The word fallen means to be driven off course. So it doesn't give the idea of crash, but constant nudges. So I did some math today. I like math, okay? I did some math. If you were to be on a road and every hour you got off a quarter of an inch, that's not very much on a road, a quarter of an inch. I mean, I don't know if I could even move a quarter of an inch. Um, in a quarter of an inch, if you got off, that means you'd get off an inch every hour. Seems minimal, okay? But then in 24 hours, you're off two feet, right? No, let me think this out. Quarter four, four times negative. Somebody else do the math. I didn't write those numbers no, down. I, I know you don't like math. <laughs> I helped you, honey. I know. Okay. You'd be off six inches every, every day, right, is what you'd be off. Okay, in a year's time, you'd be off 182 feet. A nudge. Just a nudge. Just a nudge. And it might even be smaller than that. So I thought, well, let me try a different number. So if you got off a 16th, now, unless you live with Pastor Jerry, you may not know the rulers have 16ths on them. Okay? He is a precise woodworker. Everything is to the 16th. And when he goes to 30 seconds, I say, forget it, dude. I'm done. All right? But even just a 16th of an inch, in one year's time, you'd be off 45 and a half feet, a 16th every hour. Now, you couldn't even visually mark that with your eye, a 16th. And that's what happens to us, just a little nudge. Just, I just got a little too busy, and I forgot to fellowship with God. I just got, I got other things. I just got, I just got, I just got. Well, pretty soon then, then we're 182 feet off. It's like, God, where are you? Okay. And that's what the enemy does. He tries to nudge us away from loving God. Just a little bit at a time. Right? All right. So let's um, keep going here. So he says, remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Well, I thought they were doing a lot of works. They are doing a lot of works. But the problem is they're not doing the works with one hand in because I love God. They're doing these works because I got to do the works. But they're not doing the works with because I love God is why I'm doing this. You always got to hold on to that I love God piece. And it says, or else I will come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent goes on to say, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which is a false doctrine. And he goes on and says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what the Spirit is saying in this passage of Scripture is you're doing a lot of things right, but you left your first love, so repent 
get back on the right track. And he says, if you'll do that, it says, to him who overcomes. Now, the word overcomes here is a military term. So it's a military term as if there is combat and serious opposition. All right? So the fact of getting your first love reenacted is not going to be something that you're going to do it with gentleness. You're going to have to do it with some aggressiveness that I have decided I'm going to get my love for God back in my life. It's going to take some determination, all right? Hallelujah. Determination to be humble, right? So it says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, the tree of life, we've heard of the tree of life before. The tree of life is found way back in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And if you remember right, I believe it's in Genesis 3, but when um, Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then the father said, we've got to get them out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and stay this way forever. He, because what the tree of life represents is this is a perpetual condition that you're in. And he says, if you will overcome the things that steal your love for God, I will allow you to eat of a perpetual condition of loving God. Okay? And then he says, the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise garden. What does it say? Help me out here. The paradise, in the midst of the paradise of God, which that word paradise is a word that takes us back to the garden. It takes us back. It, it actually, in some places, is translated Eden. So it, uh, we get understanding of what God is trying to do. He said, if you will conquer not loving me, I will give you an opportunity to eat of the tree and have a perpetual condition as in the Garden of Eden in its original form. If you'll love God, you'll live a lifestyle that Adam and Eve were originally intended to have. If you'll love God. And so what we have to do is overcome this losing that love. But if we will overcome Losing that first love. Tree, here I am. Garden, I'm ready to go. Right? Because it's a perpetual. The tree of life is a perpetual condition. But the, the, in the midst of the paradise of God. All right? Glory to God. And it's determined by how we love God. So let's look over to, am I doing okay on time-wise? All right. So let's go over now. Um, um, now he said, one of the things I want to bring out here, he said, remember from where you have fallen, remember from where you have fallen. And it's important to realize the reason God wants you to remember where you came from is not so you can remember how bad you could be. 
but it's for you to remember how good he was when you were bad. He wants you to recall, constantly recall, remember where you were, but remember when I came in and changed your life forever. See, our remembrance isn't to know, I would never want to remember what this man was like in high school. And he doesn't want to remember it either. No, that guy died. And there's no reason to remember that. But what I do recall is the power of God that changed him. And that, see, because when I recall that, it stirs in me a love for God. It stirs that up in me. Remember where you were at when you got saved? Remember where you were at the first time you came to know Jesus? And you start thinking on that, and all of a sudden, the love for God starts cooking in here and boiling up and coming up. We ought to start remembering that more often. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So now let's move on to 1 John chapter 2. And verse 15 It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So now we see what the enemy uses to nudge us away from the love of the Father, the love for God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see he uses three key elements the enemy does to do those a sixteenth or a quarter of inch, little nudges. And he uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what is the lust of the flesh? Well, the lust of the flesh is what your flesh wants, the craving. How many of you know sometimes you want something that's not right? It may be something heinous. It may be something criminal. It may be the chocolate cake in the refrigerator. You understand what I mean? But it's all the lust of the flesh. You may want to say something to somebody, You may want to hide from somebody. You may want to do something to somebody. All of those wants are the lust of the flesh. And if the enemy can get you just to step a sixteenth, a little bit. Well, I won't say the whole thing, but they really ought to know this part. There, There was just a nudge. And we don't realize what's happening, what he's moving us from is just not, not uh, away from what we know we should do, but he's trying to move us away from the love of the Father in our heart toward the Father. Because now what has happened is that 16th of that quarter-inch nudge was taking matters into our own hands. All right? So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, I see it, I want it. I see it, I want it. Okay, 
And that's what he does. He tries to get you to set your affection on something that is not God. All right? He puts something before your eyes to want it. Now, some of the things that are set before your eyes, God wants to give you. But then we go back to priority. And God doesn't want anything to supersede him as priority, right? All right? And the next one is the pride of life, which is self-exaltation. I'm going to end up on the top of this pack. No matter how I get there is no, never mind. Self-exaltation, the pride of life, of being something and being somebody. Now, you have to realize in God, you already are somebody. And what he wants to do is he wants to take the design of who you were made to be. And as you humble yourself, he will exalt you in due time and bring you to that place without having to step on anyone else, crush anyone else, or do anything that's ungodly. God wants to do that. All right? And if you look at these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, in the Garden of Eden, all three of those things were used on Eve. I don't know, Matt, did I give you Genesis chapter 3? I don't remember if I gave you that verse or not. Yes, 3 verse 6. So this is talking about Eve. And it said, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She wanted food. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And a tree desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, who was the instigator of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? Satan was the instigator. Satan is still the instigator because it's the world, and he is called the God of this world, and he's called the ruler of this world. He's still working that against you, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the word says we have to overcome. That's why it's a military term. Because the enemy never lays down and say, oh, okay. All right? It's a combat term. We have to overcome these things to keep ourselves in the, in the love of God. They must be kept bridled or we lose our first love. They have to be kept under. We have to war against anything that's trying to steal our love for God. They have to be conquered. All right? So... Why is it so important or how are we going to do this? Um, let's go to Romans. No, let's go to first, uh, Jude. Jude 1. We'll wrap it up. Is it a good time to do that? That'd be a good time to do that. Jude 1. Right before Revelation. Jude chapter 1, since there only is one. <laughs> you guys didn't know Titus had four chapters, though, did you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, Jude um, chapter 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. You're going to have to do things to stir yourself up and keep yourself loving God. Keep yourself loving God. What are you going to do to keep yourself loving God? You're going to remember from where you came. You're going to keep him as the priority. 
You're going to choose him. You're going to um, use his power against all pressure. You're going to keep yourself in the love of God. All right? Now, let's go over to um, Romans 8 in honor of Pastor Jerry. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those God loves. Doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that everything's going to work together for good for those that God loves. God loves the world. If God's love could make a difference alone, the world wouldn't look like it does. It wouldn't look like it does. Because God's love for the world is not enough. It's our love for God that penetrates the world. It's our love for God that impacts the world. It's our love that we have for God that impacts the world and changes lives. Now, we love because he first loved us. We only have the ability to love because he loved us. Remember Romans 5 there? We can love because he put it in us. So we can love him. But it says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. See, it's not automatic. Now, once in a while we have good things happen, but sometimes we have a lot of bad things happen. All right? So we have to go back and check, do I love God enough to grow and develop past these crises? Do I love God where it's marking me to fellowship, to pray, to spend time with him so I will develop and grow so this pressure won't get me anymore? See, it's that I love God so I value what he values and it becomes the motivational force for how I live. It becomes the driving thing within me. I just love God. Most Christians, now forgive me for saying that, many times we get caught in the benefits of God without God. What we can get out of God without having God. And you can tell when you get to that mode because that's when your mind starts saying, why doesn't God? Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? You know what that's saying? You're looking for a hand, but you're not staring at the heart. Because when you stare at the heart, you know where the hand is at. So it's about loving God that he has a place to grow you up that what is bugging you, bothering you, tormenting you, hanging you up, making chaos, whatever, he's just going to grow you up right out of it. All right? But it's through those avenues of loving God that we move toward him where he has the opportunity to change us. Amen? Praise the Lord. Did you get something here tonight? Hallelujah. Loving God, and we know we're supposed to love him with all our heart, all our soul, 
all our mind, all our strength. I pray that over all of you every day. So I know you're doing that, right? But we need to stop and sometimes evaluate. Do I love God? Well, of course. That's not the, that's not the kind of analysis we need to do. We need to do the analysis of where is God? We need to do the analysis of how do I value what he values? We need to do the analysis of what do I spend my time doing? We need to do the analysis, what do I spend my money on? We need to do the analysis of how much do I do works without even considering I'm doing it because I love him. All right? So it takes some evaluation. But remember, if you can find your first love, you get the opportunity to eat of that tree of life in the paradise of garden of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't you all stand to your feet? Father, we are grateful and thankful tonight that you're putting us in remembrance of loving you. Father, cause us to go deeper in our walk with you. Cause us to love you more. And Father, we repent of places we let go of our first love. And Father, we stir ourselves right now by remembering that moment when we were introduced to you. That moment when you overwhelmed us with your love. And Father, we'll not think of that love lightly. We'll not think of it insignificantly. But Father, we'll not let anything take the love of God from our hearts. We'll not be nudged off track. And so, Father, we declare with our mouth, we love you with all that we are. And we thank you and we praise you for it, for that love that you put in us, that we can return it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.